Career Day Live is a Stop Clowning Around production. You can learn how Stop Clowning Around helps people succeed in life and career by mastering the art of connection and relationships by visiting StopClowningAround.com or Facebook.com forward slash StopClowningAround. If you are inquisitive, detail-oriented, and enjoy work that can make a difference for generations to come, clinical research might be for you. Shauna Thomas, a clinical research professional at one of the nation's leading medical institutions, shares with us what it's like in this role. Shauna, we're just going to start by letting you share what is your role and how did you get there? Hi, my, um, my role is a clinical research professional and um, I work for Washington University in St. Louis. And um, I got there um, because I love science and um, I happen to work with cancer patients in, in my role as, in clinical research. And so um, I, I did a master's degree in, um, in molecular biology and really wanted to work with cancer patients. So that's how I got here. All right. So let's go back a little bit. Was science sure. always your thing? Yes, always, always. It was actually, um, it actually started when I was in high school and maybe DNA evidence started being like um, a thing really. And so it, it was in the news and it was popular and it really intrigued me. So I actually started out on a maybe like crime scene investigator type of path. Um, but my mom got breast cancer when I was um, in probably my sophomore year of college. So I kind of switched my life around and switched my focus to cancer. So this life event happened. No one mm-hmm. wants that life event to happen in their family. It's a dreaded word. We all hate that word. But yet at the same sure. time, it sounds like it drove you to say, this could be my life's work when it comes to science and uh, research and discovery. Absolutely. It completely, it completely changed my focus. And um, it happened to be that we had a class called um, Cancer and Infectious Diseases. I went to the University of Northern Iowa and um, we had this class and that all kind of happened about the same time. So I got into this class and I realized that it's, when we're talking about um, we're talking about science at the molecular level, when you're talking about DNA and RNA, um, it's it's really all the same. And so I already had the basis for the knowledge of cancer biology, and so I just I just took my my science knowledge there and transferred it over to the cancer world. So your title is a clinical research uh, a researcher, a clinical research professional. Was that yeah. what you knew you were going to be coming out of college, or how did you reach that position? Nope, no idea. <laughs> I, um, I, coming out of college, I actually, my very first job, um, so I graduated with a master's degree. My very first job was at Monsanto, and so that was in the lab, pipettes, goggles, doing, doing the experiments every day. That was, um, that was, 
a great job and I loved it, but I realized then that I did not want to be at the bench doing the experiments every day. And so I kind of started getting, started looking into how can I get back to the cancer world, which was where, you know, I knew that I should be anyway. So I just started looking out for different kinds of jobs in research because I had plenty of research background. When you say researcher, science is mm-hmm. um, something you've passionately loved. And I personally have spent a good amount of my time in the security industry. And I always say there's this investigative aspect that drives a lot of us. Is there an investigative nature that drives you in your desire to do research? Absolutely. I think it starts out with that question. And you have the question of why does something work a certain way and how does it work? And just wanting to know, wanting to know the process, especially with science, we know with um, whether it's plants or animals or people there, it's very complicated. Sometimes we think we know how something in the body, for example, works. And then we learn that there's actually two or three other ways the same pathway can work. So it's the asking that question um, that drives some answer that's going to that's going to tell us something about how the plant works, how the body works, and why it functions that way. Excellent. Now, I think you kind of just did it for me. But at the same Uh time, I'm going to go ahead and rephrase the question, just ensure something, uh, well, to ensure that we didn't miss anything. Can you help me understand exactly what your title slash role really means? Uh, If you could just package it into a paragraph, what does it mean to be a clinical research professional? Sure. Um, what it means basically is that you are, um, you are an integral role in the process of, of um, taking a drug or a device through the FDA process, through the phase process. We've got phase one, two, three, and four um, of the government process to get something onto the market. And so that being a clinical research professional means that you have, you have experience doing this and you're not just, um, you're not no longer doing um, the research and running the trials necessarily, but you have more of a, a broad view of the entire process from the development of the drug to someone taking the drug for a specific disease. Now, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I would believe that there has to be potentially some great satisfaction in this role if you're taking it Mm -hmm. through the entire process, because if you're a part of something that is truly life-changing, that's got to be pretty exciting. Yes, absolutely. That is um, certainly one of the most rewarding, rewarding things. And, you know, that just like so this is the same. I know the agriculture world as well from my time at Monsanto, but taking um, a, a concept in, in food or in plants and from concept to actual market is, you know, 20, 25 years. So it's a really long process. And so it, there is huge enjoyment in being able to see, um, see a drug specifically that do well, perform well, and patients are doing well to see that eventually get into um, to the public's hands where everyone can access it. That, uh, again, sounds pretty exciting. You know, because I got a little ahead, let's jump back just one second, though. And sure. can you 
help us understand kind of what your day-to-day or week-to-week might look like. And I can already tell it's probably different uh, each day, each week, yeah. based on how you've described it. But again, just give us an idea of what your life does look like in a normal day or week. Sure, sure. I feel like I have to explain a little bit of um, our process. And this is absolutely different at every institution or every hospital that runs clinical trials. And I work mainly with the breast cancer program. So most of the drugs and devices and things that we work with getting through the FDA process are for breast cancer. So we have, basically, there are three different buckets that clinical trials come from. The one that most people know about is the pharmaceutical side. There's big, you know, there's Eli Lilly, there's Pfizer, there's some of these big companies that have lots of drugs that they're developing uh, continuously. They have a pipeline where they push out different drugs. And so they, um, they have clinical trials, and there's also institutional trials. And those institutional trials are what we call investigator-initiated. So all of the wonderful researchers that we have at WashU and many institutions have, sometimes they have their own trials that they would like to start. And so we have pharmaceutical, we have investigator-initiated, and then we also have cooperative group trials. Cooperative groups are a little bit different in that they are um, just a group of several different institutions. Maybe it's a hospital group or, um, for instance, it could be WashU, Mayo Clinic, and MD Anderson together. Maybe they form a cooperative and they work together to fund different trials that they have at each of their locations. So those are kind of the three different groups of people that I deal with that are running clinical trials. So what the first part of the process is they want to know, those three groups of people want to know what kind of what kind of equipment do we have, what kind of services do we provide, what kind of patients do we have at our institution. So if they have a the pharmaceutical company comes to me and they have a drug that they think treats breast cancer, they want to know how many breast cancer patients do we treat at our institution. So it's basically a um, we call that an initiation visit where we talk to them about the number of patients we have, the number of people that might potentially be impacted by their trial and might actually see their drug in a research setting. So that's kind of the initial process. And then once they decide, oh, yeah, you guys really have a good population of patients, we see there could be a lot of benefit. This is this is good for us, good for you. And I should also say that WashU, that is also how they make their money. It's not just It's not just the company's um, that come to us with drugs. It's also WashU makes money on the clinical trial process as well. So it's a good fit for both of us. We're gonna, we want to run our clinical trial and give these particular drugs. So the next part of the process would be the business side, which I deal with a little bit, not a ton, but it would be like the contracts and the budget and how much, how much are we going to charge them to run the trial? How much, how much are, profit are we going to make? How much profit are they going to make? And all of that runs through a business office, and I deal with it, touch a little bit of that process, but not much. Um, And then the day-to-day, really the day-to-day grind of what it looks like is managing managing the patients that are on the trial. So these, these drugs have very specific protocols, just like any experiment that you would do where you, um, you have to start here and add this and then do this to it. Patients are the same way. So we have to 
see them in clinic, when they come to see their doctor and they're taking their drug, we have to make sure we know what their side effects are so we can tell you what, what side effects the drugs are causing. And we have to make sure that they're taking the medication appropriately and that they're, they're staying away from things they need to stay away from and doing all the things that we can to just control that environment. So it looks like every patient is different, but they're taking the same medication and being treated the same way. And that's, the, that's kind of the day-to-day of it. Now, I manage the people who see the patients in clinic. So I am not, at my role, I'm not any longer in the clinic with the patients, um, but I'm kind of overseeing that process. So based on that, and I thank you for that description, I have a much better understanding myself now. In the day-to-day, we talked about the overwhelming job satisfaction of, of something major happening and getting to be a part of that. But in the day-to-day, what is it that you love about the job? And are there any aspects about it that are kind of the dreaded? I just like everyone to hear the, the pros and cons of every role out there. Sure. Um, absolutely. There are, you know, any in in research, there are always there are always upsides there's always things that work and and it's not that you you always start out with something with hoping that it's going to work but you know that there's always that failure rate so when we get a drug and you know a lot of these drugs from small companies or things that are unknown uh we just don't know how they're going to work so when you see a patient um who has cancer and gets um, an investigational drug. So I should say when a patient gets an investigational drug, most times it is because they have run out of lots of other options. We have treated them with lots of other standard of care things that any doctor could give them, and they're searching for other things. And so there, many of them are in kind of a desperate situation. So when you see a drug that works with a patient, I mean, whether it's, once a month or once a year, that just, that absolutely changes your life and changes your outlook on, on what you do, because you know, if, whether it's the 10,000 emails you sent out today or the number of contracts you signed today, there's actually on the other end of it, patients that um, either their life is getting extended or their quality of life that they have is getting extended or things about their, um, about their cancer are, are looking better. So that's always the good side. The bad side of it is that it is cancer and not everyone gets healed. Not everyone has some amazing transformations and some drugs don't work. And so some drugs will fail in phase one or two because they're not efficacious, meaning they don't work. And if some drugs that do work, they're too toxic to patients. They cause other side effects that are just not, it's the, um, it's the, I guess the ratio of the good to the bad and the side effects outweigh any good that the drug is going to be doing. So there are those times where uh, it's, it's a sad line of work and you get to meet patients who are amazing people and, you know, sometimes they die and that is, that's the tough part. You know, it's kind of interesting when you say that you just made me think about how I think about science. And typically when Mm -hmm. I think about science, I think in a very logical fashion. Everything Mm -hmm. is um, a process-oriented per se, and and there's not much Mm -hmm. to it. These are the facts, and you get through the facts, and these are the results, and you start over. But as you were describing the downside of it, we just can't remove emotion from our lives. 
So even as right, a researcher, right. you're totally logical focused or scientific focused. It was interesting that the downside is really more the emotional based of a probably a connection with some of these patients and it just doesn't work. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, in the clinical the the FDA process for getting a drug on the market is is set up is set up in a way that, you know, when you're in when you're in the phase, phase one or two, you're treating small number of patients. It's a very small number of patients, maybe tens of patients. So you can say, you can just say, is my drug tolerable? And um, can I give it to patients? And nothing crazy happens. And then it's more phase two, phase three, where you get into larger numbers of patients and you can really start to ask the questions like, um, does my drug work? Does my, if I start out with a tumor of this size and I give a patient this drug over three months, does it, does it shrink or does it grow? What, what does it do? And then sometimes the, the part that gets a little tricky is when it gets into phase three and four, when it's sort of things look good, patients can tolerate it. It seems to work well against cancer, but then when you're treating in phase three and four, you may be treating hundreds to up to a thousand patients. And that's when some of those things that you treat, when you treat patients at low numbers don't necessarily come out. So you may see, oh no, I see all of a sudden we see 20% of people that take this drug have heart problems or develop a heart condition over time. And those kind of things don't come out in phase one and phase two, because you're treating such a small number of patients. So some of those things, um, it's the human aspect when you're dealing with clinical research that's different from the, the bench, the molecular biology, where you're just transferring substance from tube to tube. So it definitely is the aspect that you're working with real people and their lives are, are impacted a great deal by what you do. I got to tell you, I am more intrigued than I actually thought I would be. And don't, <laughs> don't take that in the bad way it even sounds. This is a very intriguing role of how you yeah. can be so impactful yet still so connected uh, emotionally to your work. Um, again, very exciting. Now, for someone that might be interested, they, they've listened to this interview up to this point. It's something that mm -hmm. intrigues them. We always have to answer that financial question. Um, mm -hmm. Based on how we live our life, money's very subjective, but we ultimately have to answer that question of would this role be a fit for me in the, the lifestyle I want to live? So can you go ahead and offer us what is a range uh, of income that someone in a clinical research role might be able to expect to earn? And I'll give you, I'll give you a couple different scenarios. We have we have a really a really talented group of people at WashU, and this is definitely going to depend on the institution um, that actually are with the patients who are on trial and making sure that they're taking their drug appropriately and and following the protocol. And so those people. From our experience, we have found that just understanding research and having some research experience is helpful in that particular position. And so that is really a, we have people that have come from um, a history major or a nursing background or a biology background or a literature background, but they have some sort of research experience. And so that's kind of what we look for there. And so those clinical research associates, CRAs are what we call them, that are, you know, on the ground with the patients every day, that's a really right out of college um, four years of college kind of job. And that's going to, that's going to get you 
maybe thirty five thirty five to forty five thousand dollars a year probably. And then if you if you continue and you there are there are there are degrees that you could get. There's um, there's a clinical research master's degree that I know is offered um, at several several universities in town. Um, there's also certifications. I have a, a certification as a clinical research professional certification um, from an organization called SOCRA, and they are the Society of Clinical Research Associates. So there's um, there's things that can kind of bump you up to the next level to manage and oversee that process. And so that could get you anywhere from, uh, I'd say, 60000 to $80,000 a year. And then kind of the next tier of that would be um, going to the pharmaceutical side. You can, there's uh, there's a plethora of different areas that you can work for a pharmaceutical company and they have lots of different, they have lots of different arms. They don't just develop drugs. They also have to market those drugs to, um, to places like universities like us who are running the clinical trial. They have to be kind of the liaison between the doctors and the scientists. And so working for a pharmaceutical company can get you, you know, anywhere from a hundred thousand to maybe $160,000 a year. So that's kind of the, the buckets that I look at it. No, that's very good. So that did lead to one question. You mentioned the very, we'll call it the entry-level role, that yeah. uh, there's qualities you're looking for and not necessarily just degrees. So let's say I had a history yeah. degree. You mentioned a history degree. And let's mm-hmm. say I fell into this role and I really liked it. Do I have yeah. an ability to move up from there even with a history degree by just taking some additional certifications or, or ongoing education, or do I get locked in? I guess what I'm trying to get to, is there a perfect degree program, or can I get my foot in the door and grow through continuing education? Yeah. No, you do not. There is no perfect path to this kind of job. Um, this is, you know, we we have people that come from the nursing side of it. So they, they come into that entry level role as maybe, as maybe being a nurse. So they have the medical background, right? But maybe you have somebody who's got a history degree that comes into this position and they have done some, they've done some undergraduate research projects. So they really understand how to, how they understand the statistics, they understand um, how to crunch the numbers and they understand um, how the science side of things are going. So both of those kind of people with completely different backgrounds bring different skills to the table, but it is a very, hands-on process. Um, it is a, it's a steep learning curve because, especially if you don't have a medical background, you're suddenly working with drugs and patients and doctors and clinics, and you're going to, a lot of people work on a disease specific, um, kind of track, like I'm breast cancer. Some people do other kinds of cancers. Some people do cardiac diseases. Um, it, it all just depends on what you're working on, but it's a pretty steep learning curve to all of a sudden be talking about, cancer or an infectious disease on a level that maybe you haven't before, but that is not, there's no degree required for that. There is nothing that is just getting in, diving into the role and people will teach you along the way. That's good news. So now I'm interested Mm -hmm. in this role. I actually want to try to get my foot in the door. Can you give me any hints? What is the best way to get a door cracked to have an opportunity. Uh, I'm okay with the entry level uh, salaries mm-hmm. that you mentioned. I just want to get a start. So you got any helpful yeah. t- uh, hints or tips for us? Um, that's a good question. You know, 
it's always helpful. It's always helpful to know someone somewhere. So I have, um, I've had several friends who um, have come to me with at different stages of their life, looking for different things. Um, and in a research institution, there's, there's, you know, there's tons of areas where research is going on. So it's helpful to know someone that can get your resume on the right desk. A lot of, I would say most, most hospitals, most schools are going to go through, you know, an HR central point of submit your resume here and then we'll get it out. But if you can get someone um, who knows the right person to get your resume on the desk, then that helps, that helps a lot. So here's a trick question in some ways. Let's mm-hmm. say I know you or maybe I don't know you. I just know about your role. And I have interest mm-hmm. in this. And so let's just say I'm a, a bit of a stranger. If I mm-hmm. were to come up to you and express my interest in this field of work and just make an intro of, I know you're there. Do you have any hints? Could you help me get in a role like this? What would your response be? Would you be helpful or would you well, be like, eh, nah, I don't want to deal with you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would be helpful. Um, that is... I mean, that's the name of the game. That's what we're all trying to do. Um, and it's not, you know, I kind of, I kind of fell into this role, not, not, not thinking at 18 that this was what I was going to pursue directly. So I would love to help anyone else who, um, who was kind of in that same place where they're looking and they're not sure, but they're interested. And Shauna, I threw you that softball and you were able to detect that. The point I'm really trying to make is people are helpful out there. And I think often we feel like, well, I can't bother that person or they might not want to help me. And really the worst they can say is no, but innate in every human being is the desire to help. So I want every listener just to understand that people want to help. And simply by asking will often get you the information you need and sometimes even the connection you need to make. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that is, you're right. That is one of the hardest steps to just put yourself, to put yourself out there and that kind of fear of rejection. But in, in all of my, my schooling and my, my career history, I don't know that many people that just knew when they were in school, exactly what they wanted to do and just went in a straight path to get there. We all are, are jogging around and feeling things out. And, and you, I feel like each position you have, you say, I know what I like about this and I know what I don't like about this. So now I'm going to, now I'm changing my focus here. And it's almost like you have to have that experience to know. So I feel like so many of us have kind of done that journey and I would just love to help anyone else that that's kind of uh, in a questioning place. And again, that's evidenced by the fact that you're even willing to provide this interview for hundreds, thousands of listeners that might take the time to listen and move down this path. And you're not alone. Every person who's taken time to be a guest on this podcast is truly in that position of desiring to help. So in this, you mentioned a Society of Clinical Research Associates. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. I wrote that down correctly. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. I know another way to often get our foot in the door when it comes to networking is through industry associations. Is that one Mm -hmm. of them, or can you recommend a few associations that one might look to to get initial connection? Mm. Um, Completely understand. So let's 
that for different industries that um, uh, there may be networking groups that are helpful. I don't know of any in the in the clinical research space that is kind of a networking group to get your to get your name out there. I really don't know of any. Now, the Society of Clinical Research Associates is um, a really good group, and they are. They are internationally recognized, and they do a lot of meetings. They do a lot of conferences. They offer several kinds of certifications. So if if you're interested, that's definitely something that you should check out. Check out their website. Um, and that's kind of a certification is sort of a, you know, a cheaper, easier, lower bar kind of thing than committing yourself to a master's degree program in clinical research. So. That really brings us back to the point of it's important to find some people in this field of work and ask mm-hmm. for help or yeah. find the companies that are hiring mm-hmm. for this type of role. And again, put yourself out there, make a cold call, mm-hmm. be a stranger and say, I'm asking for help. And I encourage everybody, you'll be surprised at how much people are willing to help you. Just another little point I want to drop in is the fact that not only are they willing to help, but every organization I speak with, they are looking for top-tier talent. So they are looking for you. So when someone takes the time to reach out to them, they actually get excited because they may be onto a lead of someone who could be a great fit in their organization. So don't fear making that call as well. Yeah, I I agree 100%, 100%. I would say um in in doing a little, you know, every doing a little internet research research about um clinical research and kind of if that's something that you think you might be interested, figuring out a little bit about it and then um I would encourage people to go to go to pharmaceutical websites, go to um any hospital websites, go to their career pages and see what kind of jobs they offer. And it depends on how people list their jobs, but I say that is one way to figure out what kind of positions are available. And then you can see the qualifications for it. And if there's something that you're interested in and you might not be qualified yet, or you are interested in, and you think you might meet the qualifications, I think that's when you, that's when you might, that's when you want to contact a human and figure out if there is a network that you can get in to figure it out, how to get in. Well, Shauna, I want to thank you so much for this information. Not only did you help us understand more about this role, you really gave us a lot of great insight on how to get our our, our toe in the door, get that door cracked, and, and hopefully even opened up for many of us. Uh, you didn't have to do this, but I thank you for the time and the energy you gave all of us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This program is only possible with the support of guests that care about helping others find their calling. If you or someone you know would be interested in sharing, please email us at cdl at stopclowningaround.com.